the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. The show, in a a lot of cases, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. In today's world, that's very important not to go through court because we're still, you know, facing post-COVID delays. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. And if any of you would like to schedule an appointment with our office about estate planning and elder law, you can give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We do not charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free, and everything we do as far as estate planning and elder law is on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour. We charge by the job. So come in, we'll talk it over, and we go from there. Now, in in a lot of cases right now, we'd be talking with another one of our lawyers about estate planning questions, but we were saddened to learn in this past week that we lost one of the great character actors of American cinema, L.Q. Jones, last week. And we were fortunate enough to interview L.Q. Jones a few years back. And I know some of you out there know exactly who L.Q. Jones is. Some of you out there are saying, well, who's he talking about? And the best way I can identify him, if you, you saw the Sam Peckinpah movies, I think he gives a lot of his most memorable performances in that. Um, he's one of the elder brothers in Ride the High Country. Uh, he's Warren Oates' brother in uh, Major Dundee. He's the member, one of the members of the posse in The Wild Bunch. Very, very distinctive character actor, long hair, always, you know, has a great screen presence. So we're going to repeat an interview we did with L.Q. Jones more than a few years ago, but I hope you enjoy it as part of this knowledge. And rest in peace, L.Q. Jones. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. 
Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is L.Q. Jones, who really is one of those legendary character actors you see in a lot of those old TV westerns and other shows. But he was part of a film called The Wild Bunch, which was a great film directed by the late Sam Peckinpah, which put together a near-perfect cast. And L.Q. Jones was part of that cast, and he played one of the members of the posse chasing William Holden, William Holden and Ernest Borgnine. And we're very pleased to have L.Q. Jones with us tonight. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you for the intro. Good to hear you. How did you get to know Sam Peckinpah? You had quite a working relationship with him. Well, let's first put it on a, a level so we understand. Sam was Oh, good heavens. Quite a bit different than most other people. You And I'm talking in a town where, where everybody's a nut. Uh, but Sam was that way, and we first started off on a picture uh, called Navy Blue and Gold that Don Siegel was directing, and Sam was a dialogue coach. Uh, we got to be good friends and enjoyed each other there for, I don't know, four, five, six weeks. We, got to, we said, look, I'm going to be doing pictures. I'll get in touch with you. I said, Sam, you you do that. We shook hands. And that was the last I thought I'd ever see of Sam. And I would say within uh, roughly six months, script showed up at the agents, and uh, we started talking business. So we're underway. And what film was that? Uh, we first started off on Ride the High Country. Uh, you know the picture? Yeah, Randolph Scott, Joel McRae. You give one uh, of the greatest death scenes in the history of Hollywood. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you. I've seen the picture, good heavens, a hundred times, 150 times. I still sit there and tear up. I don't care what happens. Randy is spectacular. Joel McRae is unbelievable. And between the two of them, it's just gorgeous. The uh, If you ask me and a number of critics, right, the high country is probably, no. It is, without a doubt, the best Saturday afternoon Western ever made. It's uh, spectacularly good. Yeah, and you know, I'll tell you something. My wife, when she was uh, den mother of the Cub Scouts, 
one day she got them together and showed them Ride the High Country to show, you know, it's really a morality play. From Sam Peckinpah, you don't expect that, but it really is about, you know, temptation and overcoming temptation. Well, let me, uh, you've just said something that I've been in the business a day or two. Uh, I've done around, no, I've done 113 movies and something between four and 500 television shows. You are the first person I've ever heard use the phrase that I use all of the time in talking about Westerns. They're morality plays, pure and simple. Well, Ride the High Country certainly is. Randolph Scott and Joe McRae were at their end of their careers. What was it like working with them? Well, I'd worked with both of them before uh, in pictures and in television. Uh, they're like, well, they're, they're clue perfect. Uh, call them Western stars. Uh, they were just stars, period. Uh, both Joel and Randy were in the business for a thousand years. It seems like in both of them decided fairly early in their careers to do westerns and the heck with the rest of the picture. And that's the way they spent the rest of their time. Um, and if you did westerns, eventually you work with one or the other, or if you're lucky, both of them. And I got to do the, I got to work with both of them. So. Now, I know you worked in a Bud Bettiger film with Randolph Scott. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, when I mean, you were Pecos, right? When you watch TV sometimes, I like to watch the old westerns, and your face pops up all the time. You know, you were Randolph Scott saving him in uh, Randy Rides Alone, and then I see you in a, a Cheyenne episode, and next thing you know, you're in a Gunsmoke e episode, and you've been shot by uh, the Rifleman, a distant cousin of mine, <laughs> another episode. Okay. Yeah, how many times are you killed on screen? Uh, let's see. If I've done 600 shows, I would say about 450. <laughs> I'm there. My son calls me the best dyer in the business. So there we have it. What my wife says is, you know, like Ride the High Country, your death scene there is the greatest death scene she ever remembers in, in her history of watching films and cinema. I mean, it truly is very good. Why, right, thank you, sir. How do we get to the Wild Bunch from here? Uh, let's go back to the fact that it's a morality play. The Wild Bunch is that. Uh, Mariette Hartley, you know the name? Yes. She was in okay, uh, Ride the High from... Country with you. That's right. If you don't know, but if you do know, that's Mariette. Uh, Mary and I worked together on the picture, and we became good friends. She's a super lady, and we went our own ways. We'd bump into each other occasionally. Uh, I am doing uh, uh, the West, pardon me, I was doing the, the picture in uh, Vegas, and uh, uh, I, I had a couple of days off, and I was coming back here, and so Marty said, do me a favor. Would you go there? We're having a showing of uh, the Wild Bunch. Uh, they had they were about to lose the picture. It was coming off of the film, and so it had to be redone. Very expensive, but they wanted to do it. Marty had spearheaded the, the effort to get it done. So we said, take a look at it and let me know. That's super. So I showed up, and I uh, went over and met a bunch of old friends. And Marietta walked up, and she said, hey, I know this is weird, but I have never seen the Wild Bunch. What's it like? And I started, I uh, said, let me, take, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. i tell you what. They're about to put it on the screen. Let's go in and look, and we're through. Let's talk. How about that? Okay. As it so happened, I was seated right behind her while the show was running. When it was over, 
the lights came on. Everybody's, uh, most people stood up, started talking and giggling and laughing. Marietta didn't move. Marietta, sorry, didn't move. And I thought I'd wait. And it went on for about, I don't know, a minute, a minute and a half or two minutes. Finally, she stood up and turned around. And that was the most awesome look I think I have ever seen on a person's face. She had just seen it. And the wild bunch is such that uh, you have trouble explaining, telling what it's like. You have to see it. Now, uh, a lot of people think it's the best picture Sam ever did. I think it is at best the second best, maybe the third. To me, Ride the High Country is a far better picture than The Wild Bunch. The Ballad of Cable Hogue is a better picture than The Wild Bunch. But The Wild Bunch is the thing, it's a happening. It catches your attention. It did it so well, Mike, it changed the way motion pictures were made from that point on. It's a landmark film. Ride the High Country is a great film, and I won't disagree with you on that. It's just The Wild Bunch changed motion pictures forever. That's right. That's right. You worked with a lot of good directors, Sam Peckinpah, but he used you again and again. We see you in Ride the High Country. Major Dundee. What was it like working on Major Dundee? I heard it was you know, not the easiest picture ever made. It depends on your point of view. The, the, uh, Sam was a great friend of mine. I was probably Sam's best friend for two or three years. Uh, it's, it's a bad spot you don't want to be in because Sam just does not trust people who are very close to him, including his wife. Bless her little heart. Uh, but uh, we had done Ride the High Country, and we just, uh, there's, I don't know how long it was, we shuttled off to do Major Dundee. Uh, the problem with Sam, Judas, how do I explain this? Uh, Sam's ability to make the kind of pictures he makes is one thing, just unbelievable attention to detail. That's what he does. That's the way he made his pictures. Now, when I say that, I'm talking about it'll, the, the right kind of boots, the right kind of firearms, the way the horse is ridden, the way he's saddled, what you say, how you say it. These are all things that he insists. If you watch his pictures, you will notice that when people shoot guns, especially those that are close to Sam and have done a lot of pictures, you'll get the reaction in the hand and the arm because you don't fire a 45 or 44, as the case might be, without reaction. And you don't just sit there and pump off the shot. So watch these pictures, little bitty things like that. Now, that's the case. And give me the fact that that's the way it is. Uh, Chuck... Why do I say about Chuck? Chuck is one of the nice people of the world. He's a good actor, but he's a poser. Think Charlton Heston you're talking about. Right, Chuck Heston. Okay. Yep. Go back to what you've seen him do. He's a great poser. He takes a position, and then he makes everything work around that. Well, you can't do that with Sam, because detail tells him that everybody's going to move this way. And so he does it that way. And if you don't do it automatically, Sam may not tell you. He 
they might not give you a word of advice. When you do the picture, he has, he's been working on that picture, that particular shot, probably a year. He's gone over it in his mind, what, 500 times where everybody is, what they look like, what they say. He doesn't tell you, and you don't go to the places that he has seen you in. He goes ape. Now, how do you explain to him that you didn't see what he saw in his mind when you did the picture, and he did it in the comfort of his office? So he can be very difficult to work with at times. I got so mad, and this is my second time, no, third time, maybe the fourth with Sam. We are out in the river, and we're making, we're, we've been fallen on by the baddies, uh-huh. and uh, uh, the, it's, it's a lot of, we're doing a lot of shots, because Sam had a railroad put under the water, rails. Then he put the shooting tower on top of that, so he could go back and forth on the rails, and you couldn't see how he was moving. Okay, so he's up there, we're doing the shot, and it's over, and we can barely hear him say, cut, Ben Johnson, Warren Oates, and myself are coming back from where we have gone. We think we belong. Well, he started cursing us when we were still a block away, and when we were right at the base of the tower, he's calling us every name in the book, saying, you people will never again work in motion pictures. You're the worst group of people I've ever dealt with in my life. This is Sam. I got so mad, I'm standing up on my horse, climbing up on the shooting tower, and I told him he didn't have enough talent to direct me to the men's room. And then every, everything got very quiet for about, oh, a minute and a half, well, he decided whether I was going on the bus and coming back to Hollywood. That's the kind of thing you have around Sam. Chuck was not used to that. And when at one point he is, Chuck is seated on his horse. He's got his saber in his hand. And Sam made him so mad. Now, this is Chuck is a person that controls himself. Sam made him so mad, Chuck flashed his saber up in the air and started to cut Sam in two. It was just that reason took over. He calmed down and listened to Sam, and we went on with the picture. Uh, Does that answer your question about why he wasn't easy to work for? Yes, it does. Now, we need to take a short break. If you have a few minutes, we'd love to have you still on the show. You bet. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. You're listening to Mike Connors on Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is L.Q. Jones, and we just talked about working with the legendary director Sam Peckinpah, including we talked about Ride the High Country, The Wild Bunch, and Major Dundee, and some of the problems that uh, 
you encountered while working with Peckinbar Major Dundee. But there is a beautiful mil- film that you mentioned earlier, The Ballad of Cable Hole. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, you bet. Uh, if you look at again, back to morality play, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Sam called me one day and he said, look, uh, he and I decided to make pictures together. I was going to produce and uh, put the money together. Sam was going to do the directing. He said, look, I found something. Oh, great. So I went out to his house, and he started spilling off a story. When he got about a third of the way, so I said, and then what happens is, and I took up the story from there. And Sam was flabbergasted. Well, well how do you know? The picture had been offered to me. Uh, it was called The Eye of the Gecko by Johnny Crawford, not the Johnny Crawford of the Rifleman. There were two John Crawfords. But he had given it to me and said, look, put up and launch. I'd like you to direct it, and you can also star in it. Well, okay, so now you see the problem I've got with Sam. And we decide to do it, and but Warren gets involved because now there's a lot of money, at least for us there was a lot of money involved. Jason Robards did the title of uh, the title name, which was the part I was going to play. God help you if I think I could even come close to doing what Jason Robards did. But uh, that's how we came to doing the story. Then we had a little problem. We're out on location. We're ready to go to work. And the night before we start shooting, this is in Vegas now, right outside of Vegas in Echo Bay. They have a humongous storm. It is so bad. It is so wet that the location where we were supposed to shoot, and part of the story, if you recall, is that Jason can't get any water and is dying from lack of it. We we get out there that morning after the storm to start shooting the picture, and Struther and Struther Martin and myself are in one car, Jason and Sam are in another. And we pull up to the location, stop, get out, and look. And as far as the eye can see is Lake Las Vegas. It may only be an inch deep, but as far as the eye can see, it's water. There goes our story right down the tube. And we're standing there. The bus pulls up. The crew starts getting out, and now the problem starts. They all file by, not hardly saying anything, and the makeup man who had worked with Sam on at least three pictures came up behind him, patted him on the shoulder, and said, don't worry, Sam, we'll get you through this. Sam said, hey, thank you very much. The wardrobe man walked off. Sam turned to the AD, the first assistant, and says, put him on the bus. And that was the last we ever saw of the makeup people. Again, that that is a great movie, Ballad of Cable Hog. Eventually, you directed a movie which Jason Robards was in, uh, you know, A Boy yeah. and His Dog. And, and that's a different movie, to put it mildly. For those who didn't see it, can you just describe it briefly? Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chicken out and tell you I've tried. We made it in 1975. Uh, you're right. Jason's in it. He is marvelous. Uh, Jason's always marvelous. Don Johnson's marvelous. Tiger, the dog, is unreal. He is so good. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
A, the picture was chosen, has been chosen by a number of critics as the best science fiction picture ever made. Well, just between me and thee, that's BS sports, but it's much better than having say it's the worst science fiction picture ever made. Um, and I have tried. Have you seen the picture? Yes, I have. Would you try to explain it to anybody about this? <laughs> It'd be very difficult. <laughs> no, it's impossible. Right. I have tried for years, Mike. As soon as I say one line, everything changes, and they don't understand what I'm talking about. And so uh, it got to the point when we released it, and it did very well. But uh, I was probably the only producer in the history of motion pictures that took out, what do I say, took out uh, ads in the paper saying to people, look, to begin with, pictures, pardon me, the theaters that ran it insisted, and it's so printed on the program, if you want to see the picture, you must come before it starts. Once it starts, no one will be seated. Well, that to begin with, is a problem. But if you've seen the picture, you understand why. I said to the audience and on paper, hey, folks, go see it. If you don't like it in the first five minutes, get up, leave, go ask for your money back. I'll be tickled to death to refund it. Uh, in, what have we been? That's 25, 39 years. I had one person go and ask for their money back. Okay, did you did you meet that person? Uh, no, I was gone. This was in, not even there, it was in Kansas City, I believe. Uh, and I, I told him, give him the money and tell him thank you. For, and we're sorry he didn't like it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I can I can talk to you because you've seen it. I can't blow smoke at you. Uh, as a matter of fact, here's it's an article just written uh, about it saying after 39 years, it's still, what do I say? Hold on a second. Uh, I'll read you this. With me here, born of culture and creative tumult, Harlan Ellison and L.Q. Jones, a boy and his dog, is still vital nearly four decades after its inception. And that's the way it is. That's It's difficult, nay, it's impossible to explain what it's about. Changing the subject, how did you originally get into pictures? What was your first film role? In Battle Cry. Mm. And what was the name of the character you played? L.Q. Jones. So how did that happen? You really want to be told? Yes. Okay. Uh, remember Fess Parker? Fess Parker, sure. Uh, Davy okay. Crockett, Davey Daniel Crockett, Boone. Right. Uh, Fess and I were roommates for two years in college. Uh, he came out, got started. Adolph Monju started him. Uh, I bought a ranch in Nicaragua. I did. Went down to run it. We met on a Christmas party. And he said, look, you got to come out. I've heard that crap. And I got back to Nicaragua, and he sent me a copy of the book. I read it. I said, he's right. So I flew up to, to Hollywood, and uh, Fess drew me a map on a shirt stuffing from the laundry on how to get to Warner's and what office to go to. Well, I, well, I get and I show up at Warner's. Now luck starts to happen my way. 
at that point in time, the guard tower had one man in it, and he let you in or let you out, either way. As I'm going up, and when I get there at the end of my trip in the motion pictures, the little blonde with the tightest sweater you've ever seen in your life is going out the other side. Guess where his eyes were, and I was in Warner's. I wandered down to Hoyt's office, Kathy's down getting coffee. She had thrown King Kong out if he didn't have an appointment. Uh, Hoyt's on the phone. I see him. I sit down in his office. When he gets through, I tell him how lucky he is. I'm here to save him and play the part of L.Q. Jones. Of course, he throws me out. But he said, call me later. So I did. And he said, like, you know, you haven't gotten the experience. And I said, look, you know, let me pay sit the hell with it. Come out. I did. He sent me over across the hall to Hoyt Bowers, pardon me, Solly Biano, who was head of casting. Solly spent about 20 minutes telling me why I couldn't possibly be in the picture. The phone rings. And he's talking with him, and it turns out he's talking to Ralph Waltz, who's directing. And he explains, you can't get rid of me. And Ralph says loud enough for me to hear, bring him up, and I'll throw his ass out. So, okay. We go up to his office. I walk in, and I look across the room, and behind the desk is a guy sitting with a dirty handkerchief jammed in a hole where his eyes should be, and he's sucking on the other end of the handkerchief. It's Ralph Walsh, who's one of the great directors of our business, who's going to do the picture. We get stared at each other for, I don't know what, two or three minutes, and finally says, how tall are you, kid? Well, L.Q. Jones is about 5'7". So I say I'm about 5'7". He says, you're a liar, you're six feet. Can you say lots of words? Oh, yeah, fine. He gave me the test. Uh, The test was terrible. But anyway, when we got through, oddly enough, Mr. Warner and Steve Trilling, the man who ran Warner Brothers, were going over with him, who was going to be in the cast, because we're shooting, good heavens, 5,000 miles away. And when he got to me, and they said, you know, who do you want? And he said, I want the kid, meaning me. And they said, you know, please, Ralph, give us a break. You're 5,000 miles away. He's never seen a camera. What if he can't do anything? Look, just wait. Leave him here. We tested 250-some-odd people. Choose one of them, for Christ's sakes. When you get back, give him two or three days. Everybody's happy. And for some reason, God knows why, Ralph Walt says either the kid does the part or I won't do the picture. I was in business. And so after that, you went to do, what you say, 400 TV shows, 100 films? Between four and 500. 400, 400, 500. So what are the shows? I mean, I know it's every show, but you were in Gunsmoke, The Rifleman, Laramie. Yeah, Gunsmoke, I did six. Rifleman, I did three. Uh, The Virginian, I did 70. Uh, and it goes that way all the way through. Now, you had an opportunity to work with some other great character actors like Ben Johnson, Strother Martin. Ah, okay. What was it like working for those guys? Because they're kind of legends, you know, just like you are. No, they are legend. Uh, Uncle Ben is one of the great people of the earth. Uh, what you see on the screen is what Ben is. He's just that way. Strother is the same way. When I say this, the same way, the toughest job you can be asked to do in our business is to play yourself. Sounds very easy. 
what it's impossible to do because you can't see yourself. So uh, you watch, uh, and I was unbelievably lucky. Mike, I got to work with Ben. I got to work with Strother. I got to work with Slim Pickens. Uh, I got to work with Dobie Carey. Uh, I got uh, Pidge Berry. Uh, I was around uh, Allison, uh, Addison Richard, Thomas Gilmez. Uh, these are people who were unbelievably good, had been in the business when I got here, oh, hell, some 50, 20, 30 years. To get to work with people like that, it just, it's awesome. And you, But you better carry your end of the load. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Our guest right now is L.Q. Jones. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is L.Q. Jones, legendary character actor who was in The Wild Bunch, Ride the High Country, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Ballad Cable Hogue, and 400 more TV shows plus. And we're talking about some of the great character actors you worked with. How many times do you think you worked with Warren Oates? Uh, Warren and I worked, uh, let me think here, babe. Uh, it's, it's impossible to say. I would guess something between 15 and 20 times. So basically, a lot of you guys are going back in the same shows. You know, you're doing a rifleman, then you're doing ride the high country and of course Warren Oates. how many times did Warren Oates play your brother any idea if we were in 12 shows he did it six times okay so your brother six times sure and you know he kind of made it big a few years later why do you think some actors become stars and some actors stay the character actors it's a lot tougher question than I think you intended to be uh the first thing is luck uh, the second thing is the type of talent. Uh, I started out actually doing the leads. Uh, in the, uh, well, I started out as a character man in uh, in Battlecry, of course. But in my first, oh, let's say 10, and I did mostly pictures to begin with, which was totally unusual for the time. Nobody could get arrested, and here this nit is, coming along doing nothing but pictures. Uh, but I finally, I noticed it, two things. I like to work continually. That way I get a chance to really learn what to do, how to do it, um, which the kids today don't have. That's, that's a shame. But uh, the uh, I, I like doing character parts. 
with the leading man, you're going to get more money. You've got more time on the screen. But you also have to, so also have to say a bunch of d- a dumb words and do things that no fun at all. And so, A, I like to do the type of characters that character people do. And two, I didn't have to sit and wait. I could work almost every day, which I did. I was screaming at my agent if I had a week off. Uh, And most of the people who do character parts are that way. We tend to think in that direction rather than the lead. Uh, uh, to do the lead, you got to think a certain way and do a certain thing. You have a lot more luxury of time to do your your part for the audience. A character man may have 10 seconds, and that's it, sweet lips. And if you don't do your job, if you don't do it perfectly, A, you won't work again, and B, you're screwed because you don't like what you're doing. Does that answer your question at all? I think it does. I'm going to go back now. You've worked with a lot of good directors, great directors. What do they have in common? Let's say you mentioned Don Siegel, you mentioned Raoul Wall, Sam Peckinpah, Bud Bedecker, and Martin Scorsese, which we want to talk about in a minute. But what do they have in common? What do the great directors have in common, the good directors? They have a feel. You can't teach them. You can't learn it. Uh, All I mentioned, plus people like Michael Curtis, uh, William Wellman, uh, uh, William Wyler, uh, Billy Wilder. They just understood life, and they had a great sense of humor. Now, you can tell a very bitter story. If you've got a sense of humor, you put it in its proper place. They could do that. You stood and listened to them. They they helped you. My my object, in which I would talk to and most of the directors, I work with all of them, saying, what can I do that will help where you're trying to get? What can I put into the tapestry that no one else is doing to make it a fuller statement? And if you ask that of most directors, they say, huh? And that's about the, the conversation. When you're saying it to the people you have asked about, they say, aha, look, try this. How about that? What happens if? And for instance, uh, Scorsese, I, I think it's only for what? Uh, I think the show was like four or five months. I work with him like 10 or 15 days. And never in that time, did he ever say to me, don't do, I don't like. He'd come over and say, hey, uh, what would happen if you think maybe we could? What do you feel about this scene? What are we trying to do? All of the people that we have talked about, plus a few more, there ain't many sports fans, that can do that, that understood that the director is the only entity in a motion picture that understands and can control what happens from the very first shot to the very last frame. We were just talking about Martin Scorsese, and you made the film Casino, which is a little bit out of your element. But how did you get that part, and how did you enjoy working with the, let's say, the mobster-type actors or the actors who play mobsters? 
Okay, well, let's, let's go from the top. I got a call from an agent saying, look, uh, Martin's course, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, uh, do would you want us to go ahead and send it up? I said, you bet. Tickle to death. Now, I walk in, I'm all prepared to meet a New York thug. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we sit down, and for the first 30 minutes, I can't get a question in. He is telling me about what a marvelous actor I am and all that BS, for Christ's sake. And it went on. for. T- I, I finally had to say, Martin, please, I, I can't blush anymore. We've got to stop this. Then he said, well, you have to understand, we grew up with you and Ben and Struther and all the rest of the people we've been talking about. And said, we stole hubcaps and sold them to get the money to go to the show. And so he said, I grew up with you, for Christ's sakes. I just wanted to say thank you. Okay, that's how we got together. When we were doing the picture, I only had three scenes in the whole thing. And we had done the, the very last scene uh, where he just put me in the auditorium and turned the camera on. Oh, that was it. He didn't tell me anything, ask me anything. And we did it, and we did what we wanted to do. And I'm coming back to L.A. now. It's like, uh, I don't know, a week or 10 days before I start work again. And the A.D. came over and said, Q, uh, Mr. Scarcey, would like to see you. You bet. Uh, Christ, I'm getting my walking papers. And I just got started. <laughs> and I go over and talk to him. He said, do me a favor. You bet. He said, look, you're going to do this scene in his office. Uh, would you please rewrite it, rewrite it for me? And I said, wait a minute, let me see if I can understand this. You've got a, what X number of pictures under your belt. They say you're one of the best directors in the business. You bought this story. You helped write the script. And now you're telling me you want me to rewrite it? Do I really look that dumb? And he said, no, no, you don't understand. I said, you're right. <laughs> but he said, if you were talking Chicago, I'd tell you exactly what to do and what I want. In New York, same thing. Somewhere in Florida, same thing. But this is the West, and I don't understand it. Please, would you write it for me for this sequence you're going to do? How can you turn that down? So I said, sure. And I got back, and I rewrote it. And I gave him three different ways to approach it from what I saw. Uh, when I went back to work, I handed it to him and said, here you are, throw them away, eat them, burn them, whatever you, you want to do. He picked one, and that's the one we shot. Uh, now, it takes a huge director to turn part of his work over to somebody else. Uh, but he didn't understand how the Westerner thought and worked. You seen the picture? Yes. Okay. Uh, when we, the only thing when we, once he read this, the thing and told Bob we were going to do this version. Now, of when it. you say Bob, that's Robert De Niro. Right. Okay. I had just met Bob. That's all. We'd just been introduced the first time I was there, uh, and he said, "Okay, we have scheduled three days for the office." Uh, but let's get started. And he told us he works slightly different than any other director I've ever known. When we got ready to shoot, 
he took us into the set. We'd never seen it before. He took his cameraman, his gaffer, the lighter, uh, the script girl, and who else was it? I forgot that other. And he said, okay, to Bob and me, he said, show me. They didn't tell us what he wanted, how he wanted it. We did the scene for him. And we we just said hello twice, I think, in the last 40 years. He said, fine, change your clothes, we'll shoot it. Okay. Now we change, and I come out, so does Bob, and we're getting, we're about to get ready because the lighting took like four hours, five hours. Uh, and for the first time, you've seen the picture? Yes. You remember Bob's wardrobe? Yes. Remember his shoes? I guess so. I'm not going to. What you about his when shoes? I tell you, yeah, what okay. I tell you, he showed up with, remember, he's dressing in the scene. He's been on the phone, and he's, he's sitting around his office. When I got there, I was in my in my, my entirety Western with the ugliest pair of boots I could find in Vegas. And believe me, they got some ugly boots. Anyway, we're on the set, and I look down, and I see these marvelous blue loafers that he has on. And I say to Marty, Marty, look at this. And I called Bob over and stood next to him, and I said, look at our, look at our shoes. He did. He said, thank you. By God, there'll be another hour or so, and they relit. If you remember in the scene, I walk in, we start the conversation, you cut down to our pairs, we're standing toe-to-toe. And he's there with these gorgeous blue loafers, and I've got on a pair of the ugliest yellow boots God ever made. And then we go on with the scene. Uh, We did it once. He said, cut, print it. We did one for protection. We did Bob's close-up. We did my close-up. And within, I would guess, two hours, we had done three days' work. And that's the way Marty is. And it's like, you couldn't help but watch him. When we're at the the desk with Bob, we're both seated. He is to my left, the camera is, and to Bob's right. You can't help but see him. Marty is not a tall man. Uh, He'd have to jump up to hit me in the kneecap. Uh... Five seven, five six, something like that. Anyway, he's a cross between Raoul Walsh and Jimmy Cagney, <laughs> and he he doesn't work watching you. He watches the uh, the TV monitor, and you can see him. He's clapping his hands and jumping up and down and giggling and enjoying the shot. Now, when you see that, you keep busting your fanny to find one more thing to show him to say thank you. That's He's unbelievably easy to work with. He can be tough. But with me and Bob, nothing. He just let us do what we wanted to do. Well, he Amazing. Appre- he's appreciated he had two pros in front of him. What are you doing today? Well, how are you spending your time in, in today's world? Uh, well, I'm talking to this man from New York that's gone insane. Uh <laughs> has nothing else to do and that I'm you know my, I'm sorry I would like to say I'm working because I would almost rather act than eat and have on several occasions uh, but I don't care for the material we're doing today and fortunately I'm independently poor and 
I can do ever what I what I like. And I've spent the last four or five years, six years, saying no, thank you, uh, and stay at home. And boy, that's hard for me to do. I I cannot lie to you. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But listen, no, it's, it's just you know, it, things change. They got to change. But yeah, I, I can't for some reason get the parts I want, and uh, they're not offer me the things I do. So you know, I sit around. Tell dirty stories. LQ Jones, thank you for your career. Thank you for all the hours you've given us in entertainment. And again, like every day I turn on a, the Western Channel or some other old movie channels, you're going to be there. We thank you very much for being in on the show, and I'm sure the audience is, you know, appreciative of it. And again, they're appreciative of your career. Poor devils. Okay. Yes. I'm in a good place in my life. And I'm energized by new adventures. I've got friends to laugh with. And a good relationship. But even though I'm kind of comfortable... I sometimes wonder, is there something more? Could God in church be what you're looking for? Come and see at catholicscomehome.com. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they're our cousins, sisters, they're our roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Rest in peace, LQ Jones. Meanwhile, if you want to learn a little bit about estate planning, you can either give us, you know, you can give us a call. You can email a question. Michael, where do they email a question to? If you want to email us a question, you just shoot it over to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's Connors spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S at gmail.com. Okay. And if, you know, we, we did a group of seminars this past month or whatever, and there were pretty good res- response. I mean, very good considering the past recent past um and we're probably going to be doing seminars again in october sometime we're working on the dates now but if you want to hear a seminar in between michael where can you get uh where can you view a copy or see our tape seminar well you can see one of our old seminars and do remember that this is a little bit out of date because new york law state law changes all the time but it is a good briefer just go to youtube.com and search connors and sullivan video seminar that's Connors and Sullivan video seminar. Okay. And, you know, again, if you want to schedule an appointment with our office, please feel free. We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. We do not charge for the initial consultation. The initial consultation is free. Everything we do as far as estate planning and elder laws on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour. We charge by the job, which means come in. We talk it over. We'll give you an estimate based on our experience, my experience, I've been doing this for more than 40 years, 
and then you'll know exactly how much it's going to cost you to go ahead and what the benefits are to your family um, of, of doing a plan. And again, if you own real estate, ordinarily we want to do a trust and avoid probate with the trust on the real estate and get the assets out tax-free to your kids. In the meanwhile, you know, hang in there. We'll be back next week at the same times and places. You've been listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And me too. God, God bless LQ Jones. Thanks so much for joining us. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.